Welcome to the Witcher Lorecast, where we take a look into the vast universe of The Witcher, such as the games, books, shows, and so much more. Welcome back, Witchers, to another episode of the Witcher Lorecast. I am one of your hosts, Ben of Tamaria. Followed up with me, as always, Toasty. How are you, Ben? Are you recording? I am recording. Okay. I am recording this week. Just double check. We're Figure not doing have to double take this week, which is fantastic. And it's now this is going to be a like a whole joke for the entire time of the rest of my life. So <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, we are we're uh, we're going back to countries, mm-hmm. countries, n- nations, kingdoms. I don't know what exactly you would call them. Countries? Country. I don't know. There's, I don't know. Kingdom? I, I mean, it depends. Kingdoms it, probably works, right? Kingdoms, yeah. Hmm. I mean, I would say it depends on what you're talking about, though. There's kingdoms in there. There's also, you know, nations. But, yeah. well, you know. Well, I mean, today specifically... We're talking about the off-the-map kingdom of Zarkania. Vance responding to a <laughs> Zarkania, which we actually don't actually go to. This is one of the few kingdoms we actually never visit. Yeah, we get it first. We first ever hear about it in the three jackdaw story, right? It's yeah, like the first instance mm-hmm. of it because like, that's where mentioned. his uh, two warrior women are from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, despite that fact, despite it being a location that we never go to, there's a, quite a bit of information about this place. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, it's we get uh, quite a bit in the books, and you know, the games expand it even further upon it. Mm-hmm. No, I thought it was a pretty interesting location. Alive, so. so shall we get right into it? No, let's do it. So in, in you know, my typical dramatic fashion, um, I'm going to start with a little excerpt from a uh, one of the books in The Witcher 3 that you can pick up called The Wonders of Zeracania. And it says, I saw temples dedicated to the worship of dragons. I heard their voice, almost human, but reverberating with a thousand echoes. I met warrior maids clad in leopard skins, tattooed from head to foot and giving no ground to witchers in mastery of the blade. I saw mages who channeled power from fire. I saw seemingly harmless flies whose solitary bite would make a man fall into a deep slumber, never to awake save to die. In short, Zeracania is a land where the fantastic is normal and the impossible occurs daily. Pretty impressive. Yeah, I would say. Um, worshipped dragons. I mean, that kind of makes sense going into the whole three jackdaw story. I was like, oh, okay, that's why the Zeracanians uh, follow him. Yeah, but there's, there's some big reasons for that. Oh, yeah. So, Zeracania is a vast human realm located to the east of both the Northern Kingdoms and the Nilfgaardian Empire. 
isolated from the Westerners by mountain ranges, deserts, and wastelands. It is often perceived as a mysterious land of warrior women, dragon cults, and exotic beasts. Um, as for its type of government, it is a matriarchal queendom. So it is a, a nation ran by women. Uh, the ruler is the queen of Zeracania. Uh, they officially speak the Zeracanian dialect, um, which, like, there's never really an example of that, I don't think. No. I'm occasionally talking to him, but, like, we we know from, like, the short story, like, the Bridge Actel story that, like, uh, common is not their, like, first language. They kind of, like, have a bit of difficulty with it. Um, they are referred to as Zeracanians or Zeracans, uh, and their religions are the Dragon Cults and Nia, uh, also known as Lilith. It's like the or originator of like the the Black Sun curse or whatever. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, Lilith. The oh, they're referred to her as like a demon or whatever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we have to talk about like the religions at some point, pantheons and stuff. Uh, dragon cults and demons. All right, that's <laughs> sounds like a good time, honestly. <laughs> Interesting I, kingdom, that's I, for sure. I look a kingdom where there's dragon cults, demons, and warrior women. It sounds like a good time. I'm honestly, honestly, I'm surprised no one's well, which we'll probably go into. But I haven't. I don't recall any like major wars with Zeracania. They just don't want to fuck with them. I think because it's specifically, I think it would is that it's like in between Zeracania and like the northern kingdoms is like tons of like deserts and wastelands and mountain ranges. Oh, so geographic boundaries makes it like it's real really hard, difficult. Yeah, so that's true. Mm -hmm. well, so getting into a bit of the history. Um, its early history, the roots of the modern Zeracanian realm, are found within a great fertile canyon surrounded by steppes and harsh barren plateaus. People of this lush region believed that they had been de designated by Zeracantonment, a colossal golden dragon, as his chosen people destined to guard and take care of dragons visiting the chasm. So they believe that they their origins come from like a dragon god, which makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. While the canyon population is perceived as the mythological birthplace of the culture, the bulk of the Zeracanian nation was formed by numerous steppe clans led by matriarchs. These warlike, warlike Amazons dominated the areas around eventually imposing the matriarchal system within the chasm itself and establishing a monarchy. The traditional protection of dragons turned into worship, with monumental temples hosting these majestic beasts being erected across the realm. So they built temples, to which the, and it's like sounds like the dragons like chilled in their temples. Like when they would visit, they each had like a temple that they could just go and like hang out in. Yeah, and... And if we're talking about, like, if, say, like, you know, they, a golden dragon was the one that, like, they used as the their, their god, 
Mm-hmm. We we know for a fact that golden dragons or some higher form of dragons can actually communicate and transform on top of that. Yeah. So to where yeah, that that makes sense where they can just chill and just, you know, be at peace. It sounds like I'm just like trying to imagine it because it's just like it's all like I think it's would all just be like fan guesstimation, but it sounds like a really like sick environment. Like just this massive like canyon with like temples like erected along. I imagine like the canyon walls in places. Like, I don't know. That sounds cool. <laughs> That'd be interesting. And now I want to see see it done. CDPR, go make this happen because we haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yes, please put the actually make well, Witcher Five. Just put it in Zeracania. There you go. There's a Witcher school out there. It's fine. <laughs> um. So as for their contact with the outside world, the continuous shrinking of the number of dragons visiting the realm led Sauronith, a priestess from one of the northern Zeracanian cities, to propose an expedition to the northern realms in order to search for remaining dragons as well as spread their faith. Six priestesses and six warrioresses spent four years roaming the continent until they were massacred by a dwarven band hunting for a green dragon. The mission's failure prompted Queen Marinavelth to found the Faithful, a warrior order tasked with finding and protecting the holy creatures. They got some big complicated names, you know, so... But you know that's that's how it be sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, the failed expedition, the failed expedition and establishment of Faithful increased the interest in the outside world by what was once an isolationist country. Holy warriors were followed by traders, alchemists, and inventors, introducing previously unknown goods in Nordling and Nilfgaardian lands. Women unaffiliated with any clan, known as free warriors, became a common sight in foreign mercenary bands, eventually leading to the situation when any Zeracanian warrior, warrior woman abroad was mistaken to be a free warrior. Prior to the mid-1100s, the Zeracanian crown came into contact with witchers that were working as caravan defenders across the infamous Korath Desert, which the country used regularly to try and trade with the western part of the continent. Sensing a good opportunity here, the Queen of Zeracania offered a proposal to these witchers to help build up their schools in exchange for their services to escort their caravans across the desert. This led to the formal creation of the School of the Manticore and a close relationship between the Zeracanian crown and the witchers. Hmm. That's so cool. Well, we have a witcher school. Right then and there. Mm-hmm. CDPR. Also, there you go. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Which also, like, when you come to think about it, like, we, when we know, like, some schools have, like, perfect, like, School of the Cats, like, perfected the mutagens to be able to, like, women are able to take them and, like, become witchers. But I have to imagine just, like, if you're still looking at, like, the base functions, like, these, like, Amazon-like warrior women... I feel like if there's anyone that could like survive the mutations, it's probably them, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If they could, if imagine a Zeracanian like, like warrior woman witcher. 
So that would be essentially Geralt just as a woman. Because Geralt is our, you know, he's gone through multiple stages. or like advanced mm-hmm. mutations. That's why his hair is white and everything. So he has higher reflexes, higher senses and whatnot. With the Zirkian women already have that. Just give them winter abilities. Boom. There you go. Well, like it said, like before, that like these like warrior messes are capable of like fighting witchers on like even footing. It's like that's that that's, that's impressive as hell. And then you give them witch fast, and then you give them witcher mutations. Whoo! Some unstoppable forces right there. But however, in the fall of eleven forty six what became known as the day of fire occurred most sorry most of the school's witchers were escorting most of the royal family and court to try and arrange a marriage between the queen's son and the princess of metina when they were met by a towering fire elemental by the time the battle was over almost all of the witchers were killed half of the royal family and a third of the court oof the Zeracanians shunned the witchers after this and doubled their efforts to find a safer sea route, a safer sea route to the west. By the second half of the 13th century, trade routes were established and western travelers began to roam Zeracanian lands, returning with many vague or exaggerated tales. So, just because of this enormous fire elemental, they just shunned them. Just for one incident, when they've been helping them out for what almost over a hundred years right it's or, about or, our mid so 1100s like 40, 40 years or so which 11 middle wait, mid 1100s but then 1146 20 to it, oh, just a, okay give or take we don't have a time span but like just one incident incident and they're shunned and but this also explains why we don't see any of the school of the manticore witchers at all during Geralt's time because they're essentially they're wiped out. Yeah. Or they're just like so rare or like they're so far to the west, east. Mm-hmm. East. Yeah. I was like trying to look at sorry. Most, I think they said western. The western part of the continent, or did they say eastern part of the continent? Uh, they would be in the east because western travelers would go to Zircania. Okay, so they'd be on the east. That was weird. I don't know. Maybe uh, ah. <laughs> I can't find it. I was pretty sure it said something about like trading, establishing trade with the western part of the continent. I was like, wait a second, that wouldn't work. Then what am I? Maybe I just misread. Who knows? Whatever. It doesn't matter. It will only matter when we see Zeracania in a game or book or something. Probably, yeah. Which we are getting a new book, so who knows what that's going to be about. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, oh, they're talking about going to the west, to the continent. That's yeah. what the most... Gotcha. Uh, so in this... In the second half of the 13th century, the ruling queen of Zeracania was a sorceress of bad renown outside her realm. 
She was forced to rely on foreign mercenaries in chasing dissidents dangerous to her rule. One of them, Borch Three Jack Dawes, was in fact a golden dragon himself in secret. The Zeracania did not partake in the Northern Wars, thus making it a destination of refugees, including Sigismund Dijkstra, Isengrim Valitiarna, and Boreas Munn. However, the realm suffered its own civil wars, fought over the human, humid forested regions, not the human regions. <laughs> that would be weird, possibly terrifying. Uh, several mercenary bands looking for a job after the Battle of Brenna, including Clan Tearsack warriors and the famed Covirian Free Company, led by Julia Abatamarco, took part in the conflict. The side supported by mercenaries took heavy losses as the foreigners, unprepared for local dangers, suffered from diseases and predatory fauna. Their native opponents took advantage from familiarity with jungle landscape and successfully won skirmish after skirmish without the mercenaries being even being able to locate the enemy. After eight months of war, the foreigners were forced to retreat. The Nordlings who returned home were voluntarily accompanied by Zeracanian exiles. Well, that answers your question there a little bit. There's, they yeah. tried, and but it was such a like hostile and like foreign like uh, environment that they just. <laughs> they got beat they gave by up. the they got beaten like, up by the fauna <laughs> yeah it's like kind of like the reason why during like all of like the parts of like the northern wars Nilfgaard never like pushes during the winter time because they know like if they were to try to fight like on like in the northern like climate or whatever since they're so used to it they would be beat by the weather yep. so you gotta gotta keep stuff like that in mind like don't make it easy for your opponents by getting beat by the environment. <laughs> so, but it's fine. Northern kingdoms don't need to spread their influence any farther. No, not at all. I'm just like, I'm... Dijkstra took some time <laughs> in Zeracania. Yeah. Got, they they could have just, you know, take him out right then and there and we wouldn't have like as much of issues. If only, right? If only. But oh well. So as for said geography and climate, uh, Zeracania is situated between the Fiery Mountains to the north and the Great Korath Desert in the south. It can be reached from the Elskerdeg Pass through the famed wastelands. Korath Desert is where Ciri gets like stuck in for a time, right? I believe so, because um, that's where she meets... Um... You know, uh, Little Pony little or horse. Little Horse. Yeah. Descending from the mountains, one would first enter the thick, primeval forest, only to eventually cross it and reach dry steppes, deserts, and barren plateaus of the continent's interior. One such plateau is broken by a huge canyon up to three kilometers deep. The Holy canyon is... Yeah. That's deep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Holy crap. The canyon is basically a gigantic oasis hosting a unique microclimate due to its shadows cooling effect and multiple sources of fresh water, often in the form of waterfalls. It sounds fucking gorgeous. It does. Yeah. 
All of this makes the growth of rainforest possible and provides habitats for several exotic creatures as well as human settlements. The distance from one end of the gorge to the other is five days of journey. Oh, wow. That's a, yep, that's, that's a long way across. Holy crap. Okay. <laughs> as for the uh, fauna and flora, Zerikania has two distinct forest systems, one adjacent to the mountains and another down in the canyon. The canyon's rainforest consists of several plants, some of which are almost impossible to find outside apart from Broccolon Forest. One can encounter exotic trees with large juicy fruits and flowered climber vines, as well as plants that are poisonous or otherwise dangerous. Outside the forest, the vegetation is sparse. The realm hosts a number of unique animals in its varied areas, including tigers, antelopes, ostriches, jackals, snakes, camels, leopards, and colorful birds of prey. Monsters that may be encountered include venomous basilisks and spiders so large that they can trap elephants in their webs. Elephants. <laughs> That's a big fucking spider, dude. Holy crap. Oh my god. That's, That's probably the size, if not larger, than probably the Kikimora we see in the first episode of the Netflix series. That's mm -hmm. what's coming to my mind is something that big or bigger. Yeah, so if you uh you have arachnophobia, don't go to Zeracania. No. Or at least don't go to like, you know, their rainforests. I mean, if you want to go to the part that's actually inhabitable, you gotta go to the rainforest. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. One should also be uh aware of a variety of susa flies which lay eggs within human bodies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so like if you're, if you played through Dishonored 2, the like blood flies. Yeah. Yep. That kind of thing. That's the vibe I'm getting. Just giant fucking mosquitoes. That's what I'm getting from this. Yeah. That's what I'm getting it from too. Oh my God. Oh. Ugh. Like I can deal with giant spiders because you know, there's a thing called fire, but like flies that will. Yeah, no. Mm -mm. Yeah, bro. Mosquitoes are bad enough in like their regular form, bro. I ain't fucking with that. Mm -mm. Not at all. I'd rather deal with a drowner than deal with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, at this point, we are going to take a quick mid break and be right back. Very well. Let us get this over with. Something has infested my vineyard. Mm-hmm. Great. Let me go prepare my something oil then. Welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about everything with the podcast that has nothing to do with the lore of the Witcher. I want to thank all of our patrons that have supported us, um... And a big shout-out to our higher vampire, Jared M., who gets a shout-out every week. Uh, if you want to become a patron, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash witcherlorecast to where you can get ad-free episodes or even join us once a month on the show, which our patron chat was last week, which we talked about our most and least favorite monsters. And, you know, I had to do a double recording because I forgot to hit a button. So that happens. 
So if you want to become part of that chaotic fun, uh, join us on there. You can also support us on Apple and Spotify. If you leave a five-star review on Apple with some words, we'll read it out loud the next time on the show, as well as a nice comment on Spotify, which should I shout out? We, we, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Okay. We, we did get a comment last week on our, our patron chat episode, um, from Shane, uh, not going to try to pronounce your last name because uh it's very long um that specifically said not enough monster fucking eight out of ten and you know what fair enough shane we appreciate your comment yeah that's fair we we didn't talk too much about that last episode for once yeah yeah surprise because i i was trying to reel it in you know but you know what next time even if the patron chat has nothing to do with monsters Make it somehow about monster fucking. I got you, Shane. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right, and we need to get Crow back. We need to get Crow. Crow was one of the big culprits for monster fucking. He was, and we need to get Crow back on the show. And Crow, if you're listening, come back on the show with us, so we can have that again. <laughs> so we can have more monster. <laughs> and um, you can also find us on a few different Discord servers: the Robots Radio Discord at robotsradio.net, as well as my own Discord server, the Ben and Friends Podcasting, uh, with where you can find this show as well as the other shows that I host. Um, and you can also find myself on Twitch at Ben of Tamaria, uh, where I do live streams of my other shows as well as game streams. I am trying to get affiliated to where now I only need three average views for my streams for the next 30 days to get affiliated finally. Nope. So, so close. That. So close. But, um, yeah, I think that's all I have. Do you have anything else to add? Well, so from me. Cool. Let's get back into it. You smell of death and destiny, heroics and heartbreak. It's onion. Right, yeah. We are back, and now where are we going with Zeracania? Let's get more into the structure of their society um, and government and stuff. So as for their uh, demographics, uh, Zeracanian society is composed of a number of ethnicities and races. While humans seem to be prevalent... The national language is at least partially derived from elder speech, and existence of dwarves and other non-humans is not unheard of. So that's kind of cool. I mean, not that's really cool, actually. Sorry. That I mean, so far they're like the best kingdom that the least racist kingdom. Yeah, which isn't saying a lot, but it sounds like they're probably pretty pretty chill i don't imagine they have a lot of like problems with you know just having like elves and and dwarves and other non-humans around they i think they'd be fine with it i mean they worship dragons so i i can't see them not being okay with it yeah exactly uh, the people are powerfully built well adapted to the harsh environments their skin tones range from a swarthy to black and their hair from fair to dark. A common practice involves tattooing bodies. Each tattoo follows a code de- denoting a specific meaning. 
Okay. That's pretty cool. So somewhat close to like Norse style. Okay. Kinda. Because the, the, the Norse or even uh, if you go into Japanese mythology, a lot of tattoos, um, they get tattoos meaning having a variation of a meaning of something. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's cool. As for the structure of society, while not codified by law, the Zeracanian society is de facto matriarchal in nature. By tradition, it's it's women who hold positions of power. They are clan leaders, priestesses, warriors, and teachers. The Zeracania is ruled by a queen, sometimes also translated as supreme leader. By default, I'm assuming that it's like a word that like it's a Zeracanian word and it probably translates to supreme leader, but everyone else is like, it's basically a queen. Like probably what I'm imagining. By default, the position belongs to the inheriting female clan member of the previous queen. In instances when the successor refuses assuming the position or when it is hard to determine who should succeed, the new leader is chosen through popular vote held during people's assembly a thing like folk moot where each free Zeracanian woman can submit a candidacy candidacy, and cast a vote. The person elected starts a new royal line and her descendants inherit the throne once she dies. That's crazy. That's Popular vote? What? You got democratic elections in this fucking place? Well, That's it goes crazy. by a folk moot, which... I mean, if anybody's ever played Dragon Age, go and play Dragon Age Origins. There's the lands meet, which is literally a moot to where everybody can put in like some sort of a candidacy to rule the kingdom. And whoever wins becomes a new royal line. That's cool. Yeah. Now, as for the Zeracanian men... They mostly comprise a caste known as Warren Warren Kani. The Warren Kani do communal and domestic work, such as land cultivation, mining, woodwork, and fishing. It's men who are tasked with raising children, girls up to four, and boys up to ten. Warren Kani are also teachers of culturally masculine jobs and sometimes become respected sages. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That literally flipped the normal, well, Stere- the, the, the stereotypical, stereotypical roles, tradi- traditions, the traditional household yeah. at our 180, so. which is, that's cool. Yeah. Also, like, girls up to four. So, like, they don't have very many, like, years with their father. Then I'm assuming they get, like, like their mother's raise them to be like priestesses or like warrioresses mm-hmm. or something like i'm sure they start like training for like what important like position they will serve in their future or something and then uh, boys only up to 10 so like where do the boys go after 10 years old i'm assuming that like that's like probably where they considered 10 is probably like maybe where they consider like because we know it's like younger societies the age of adulthood is is younger i mean 10 is probably about the time where you can like kind of start like functioning for yourself Mm -hmm. and like contributing to society so maybe yeah they go to like some sort of like 
I don't know, finishing school or something, or just they start or to like they could act do, as um, as apprentices under certain professions and whatnot. They could do that, possibly. Now, moving on to their culture and language, uh, the sole official language is Saracanian, a heavily distorted dialect of elder speech. It's the only one known by all Zaracania's inhabitants. Only priestesses and faith, uh, faithful learn common or Nilfgaardian. And the written form of Zaracanian is runic. And this may answer your question, actually, this next part. Oh, the education. That. As a free Zaracanian child reaches four, she or he usually starts helping a parent of suitable gender in their work. As they reach 10, children become baptized in the name of Zaracantonment. From now on, they turn from passive observers into active participants of Zaracanian social life. They choose the job they would like to take care of and learn it for at least five years. Each year, they can change the area of studies, but as they reach 15, they are obliged to decide for good. So that like when you said about apprenticeship, that seems like what happens is they can apprentice for the job they're going to do. And then at 15, they start doing said job. Right. But it's cool that they can like switch it up and like have like a decision. They get to decide for themselves what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Which I feel like is not very common, like fantasy settings. You kind of just like grow up into a specific thing. I yeah. feel like most of the time. Um. Girls between 10 and to 15 are called Kule and boys Lereni. As they reach 15, they became become Kule Meltini and Lereni Meltini, respectively, and begin practices in their chosen way of life until they are ready. Those who choose the life of warrior or of priestess have to train longer to become full-fledged members of the profession. Even like the yeah, the women get to decide if they want to take on the responsibility of like warrioress or priestess. That's cool. Yeah, it gives them full reign to where they, you know, someone doesn't if they have a warrior mother, they don't have to follow in her footsteps if they're not comfortable. Yeah. As for the religion. And the only religion recognized by the state is the cult of divine dragons. Comprises a pantheon of various ancient worms, as well as veneration of real living specimens hosted in temples. Foreigners often speak about the sacrifices performed before the images of these scaled overlords. Notable entities worshipped include Zerakantermint, Baalzebuth, and Rarog. So, Zaracantermint seems to be the 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 first one, uh, and I feel like like Balzabuth is probably like some sort of like mix up of like Beelzebub, Beelzebub. Yeah, that sounds is, about right. Yeah, and Rogrog, literally, rem just first thing that came to mind was a Balrog from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I mean, maybe his horns look like that. Who knows? Fair enough. It's possible. The position of the state-mandated form of worship is contested by the growing cults of Lilidnia, 
a syncretic religion mixing ancient Wozgor beliefs with Eastern spirituality. Its matriarchal character swayed many women across the country and the elites, making Zeracania a true center of the religion. Which we'll have to talk about that some other time about like that along, along with like the northern like pantheon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Mm. Um, so part of uh, a big part of their like culture is also like the use of magic and alchemy as well as like warfare and weapons. Uh, so magic in Syracania is practiced mostly by priestesses. Becoming one takes eight years, during which adepts learn the arcana of dragon magic, reading and writing elder runes, decipher legends and mysteries written in ancient chronicles, and become accustomed with herbalism and alchemy. Now, I feel like eight years is not a long time for something like that. No, it's compared to Artuza. No, not at all. And like... Notably, they learn the arcana of dragon magic, mm-hmm. which is vastly different from the sources that we know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's cool, though. It's certainly fucking cool. Alchemy is one of the arts practiced by both women and men. Along with various other recipes, Zeracanian wizards and sect members became known as specialists in the usage of explosives used to create bombs or siege engines, substances developed by Zeracanian masters were eventually brought to Nilfgaard and Northern realms during the 12th or 13th century. Zeracanian knowledge and ingredients find its uses in medicine as well. One of the characteristic elements of local practices is acupuncture therapy. Which is pretty cool. That's cool. Now, as for their warfare, like other steppe nations, Zeracanians specialize in mounted archery and sabermanship. Their legendary marksmanship skills are the topic of legends and superstitions across the continent. A common myth amongst those uneducated with bowmanship claims that Zeracanian Amazons cut a single breast in order for it not to interfere with their aim. Like they cut off their breast. Yeah. So that I, they have I better. Get, yeah, but that's not how that works. Yeah. No, that's why it's a myth amongst the uneducated with bowmanship. <laughs> the ones that don't understand how it works. Which I mean that kind of tracks the right. trend of like women having to like mar their form in order to be as good as men at something or whatever because they can't Except that a woman can be better at something than they are. Right. While the renowned faithful order is the most characteristic, most Zeracanian armed women belong to step guardians, clans, retinues, protecting borders. These warrioresses train in extreme conditions, learn camouflage, and acquire knowledge about plants and animals. They wear two lines of the tattoo and the chameleon symbol, Two vortexes conjoined in an eight-shape tattooed below the ears. And just a very specific thing. I've, I wonder if, like, if we go and look, 
like yeah. that episode of like the Witcher season one. I wonder if they had like a little eight underneath their ears or something. I don't know. I, don't... I would have to go back and watch that. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting if they paid that close attention to that detail. Probably not, but you know, who knows? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm also like, I'm now imagining just because of like, like the way they described it, I'm kind of like in my brain, like the, um, like they describe with the waterfalls or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm imagining like that scene, like the, the, like the trial for King scene from like Black Panther. Like oh, how they like yes. the waterfalls mm-hmm. going like on the, like on that, like, cause those are like steps, right? Like that's what we essentially, yeah. So I'm imagining that's like that, but like just a vast canyon of basically that. Be cool. That would be cool. Uh, yet another example of Zeracanian Amazons are the Free Warriors. Swearing allegiance neither to the clan or the queen, they're often found in mercenary groups on the continent. Their renown is high. Nordland seeing faithful often assume they deal with Free Warriors. Zeracanians are also known for their production of zephyrs enforced with antelope horns and saberas, a type of saber native to Zeracania. The most destructive, however, are fire scorpions, siege engines shooting green fire, a couple of such combined being capable of raising entire cities. Some even say it's these machines that caused the desertification of Zeracania ages ago. So they have giant grain flamethrower siege weapons. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's, we see this in, like, a lot of different things. I mean, there's, like, I think there's Greek a Gwent. fire. Yeah, and I think there's a Gwent car, actually, for the for the siege engine in the game in Witcher 3. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, but it's, like, you see, like, Greek fire and things where it's, like, that fire, like, green fire that can't just burn out. I mean, Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. whenever Stannis was trying to, like, invade from the seas or whatever, and they blew up all his ships with it. I can't remember what they called it in Game of Thrones, but like that's the same thing. You see it in a lot of different things. Now, uh, I'll ask for their economy. In the steppe and the desert, most Zeracanians are herders, living off the milk and meat their animals produce. In areas with a more favorable climate, the more sedentary lifestyle is possible, allowing a portion of the population to produce goods other than basic foods. Most of the continent knows Zeracania only through the products imported from there. It is hard to determine, however, which ones are produced in Zeracania and which ones are merely sold by Zeracanian traders after being bought in even farther lands. Some of the wares commonly associated with Zeracania are spices and silk. They arrive in northern realms either via land route through Elskerderg Pass and Adern or by sea, presumably from ports in the Nilfgaardian Empire or in the lands south of the Korath. One of the biggest importers from Zeracania is the Nordling-owned Zeracanian Spice Company, headquartered in Novigrad, where ships with Zeracanian products often dock. Some northern organizations even have branches in Zeracania itself, with the Bank of Chianfinelli family being one of the most prestigious. I'm not surprised that bank is in there in Zeracania at all. No one's surprised that bank is anywhere. No. It's um, just, it's everywhere. I'm 
curious because it's, it's the Wells Fargo of the continent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Oh my gosh! And you have to deal with the, the whole bank thing and uh, blood and wine. That was a pain. Hmm. Um. But I'm curious because so if no one knows, we are getting an official Witcher cookbook. I think this month. I think it's supposed to finally drop this month. It kept getting pushed back. Um, like I've been, it's been talked about for a while. But I've had it on pre-ordered for, for like almost a year, and it keeps getting pushed because uh, they kept changing things or adding things or something. I'm curious: Are we going to get any Zeracanian recipes? And if Probably. so, we have please, to, right? I would, I would hope so. Hmm. I mean, let's be honest. I only bought it because I want to see what kind of like drinks they have. <laughs> fair, fair. That's fair. Oh, I mean, interested. I have to share some of the recipes. I did not pre-order it, but I mean, I don't cook that much, so See, I I only I only really tab it on uh for the uh, alcohol portion because you know that. <laughs> yeah, I don't drink, so I mean, this, this oh, is another, fair. another reason not to really. It is. Yeah, it's supposed to be this month. It's supposed to be releasing okay. November twenty first. Finally, okay. So yeah, about two weeks. About two two ish weeks. Two, two ish weeks, two three weeks. A week from tomorrow, or two weeks from tomorrow. Yep. Yeah. So, when I say tomorrow, I mean our tomorrow, which is Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh, yeah. It's Tuesday. <laughs> because we record these on Mondays. Yes. Yes, we so. do. But interesting of Zeracania. I mean, honestly, they're so far that we've seen the least, you know, racist to non-humans, which is great. Which, again, is not saying much because it's the Witcher. They're a matriarchal society, which I always think are super fucking cool. Yeah, which we, I mean, we have that in Tucson, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, Tucson just seems like it's a very, like, like, equal, just kind of, like, area. Like, I don't think, I don't know they have a duchess, but I never, like, perceived well, Tucson as, like, being, a, like. Well, they're, like, a vassal state of Nilfgaard, aren't they? Yeah, because they're the duchy of Tucson, so, which, yeah, is a vassal. So. And, and they worship I, I never, dragons. That's true. They worship dragons and demons. And demons, apparently. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, it's also true. So, Which yeah. I'm honestly surprised, like, Radovid hasn't tried to do something, at least. It's too far, man. That's true. Well, he has, he has to con- He has to, con- he he has Deek- to conquer Deekstra the rest. there. I think Dijkstra <laughs> ran away. Like, that was that was that, that time was whenever, the- like, after the, like, after the death of Vitsimir, right? And like he had the problems and he had to kind of like go into hiding. I think that's probably the time he went to Zeracania. Can't remember. We'd have to double check on his his episode because yeah. it said specifically whenever he went into hiding, but I can't remember what that was after. I can't remember on top of my head. I think it was after the the coup and like Philippa, the shit with Philippa. So Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Where he got his name blown out. Yep. Man, it must have been a long hike to Zeracania <laughs> with that fucked up knee. <laughs> right? <laughs> or ankle? Yep. 
It was his... His ankle, right? I think, yeah, it was his ankle, because, yeah, Geralt blew out his ankle. Yeah, so... Which we saw. Which I was so happy. I was so happy they actually, uh, like, put that in the show, and I was like, yes! He was gruesome, though. Like, he he fucking just stepped on it, like, ah! He, like, we see him, we see him, like, stab through his leg, or did something to his leg, and I was like, oh, okay. And then he went straight to the ankle, and I was like, oh, you just oh. overkilled <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's about it for Zeracania. Well, that was awesome. Thank you for researching that. And Toasty, where can people find you besides this show? Uh, I also do the Cyberpunk Lorecast, as well as the Cyberpunk Red live play podcast cyberpunked cyberpunk apostrophe d that i do with the fumbling for an almighty crit gang what about you ben well you know i you know host this show with you and i also host holocron histories the final fantasy lore cast and the wizarding world lore cast all part of the robots radio uh rocket club well my three shows are this show is a robots radio show mm-hmm. and um yeah, and you can find all those shows on my Discord as I plugged in earlier and in the link below. But yeah, fun stuff. I It's funny. Uh, on the Elder Scrolls patron, I like shout out all the shows that I'm a part of. And like uh, Lotus is like, Tom, I think Ben's going after your uh, your podcasting spot. <laughs> the number <laughs> of shows that he does is like, no. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make it a living yet. <laughs> Fair enough. No. But uh thank you for listening to the Witcher Lore cast. And stay safe on the path. Thank you for listening to the Witcher Lorecast. You can find us on the Robots Radio Discord at robotsradio.net. You can find us on the Ben and Friends Podcasting Discord, where you can share your thoughts, comments, or even experiences with the Witcher lore. You can also find us on Twitter at Witcher Lorecast. <laughs>